0: This is Couch Googles. I'm Michael and this is... Sasha. Today we're
1: reading two Russian short stories that I suggested that were fundamental for the development of Russian science fiction. One of them is On the Moon and another one is Invisible Light. By Alexander Belayev. One of them is significantly older so we'll start with that one. It's On the Moon by Tselkovsky. Tselkovsky is a famous scientist and he's really more popular for the thoughts that he expressed in his text than for the text themselves. Now let's summarize what On the Moon is about. A scientist dreams of waking up in a strange place which turns out to be the moon is accompanied by his physicist friend and together they explore the lunar surface with childlike enthusiasm as they frolic around they experience the sensation of their earthly bodies being freed from the force of gravity throughout their adventure they engage in various activities and provide scientific explanations for the phenomena they observe this text was published in a journal as a series of vignettes about th- physical principles to the general public <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I have to say that right, off the, right out of the gate, that's exactly how it read. Uh, I found it the most infuriatingly boring text uh, that I've read in a long time, because the sensation of reading this was like the same as reading a physics textbook just narrated in a series of unrelated scenes, Uh, and uh, that was just horrific. Uh, I admit I had not read the introduction uh, to this text before. I read this text, so I assumed it's like from the 1920s or 30s or something, uh, and uh, as such, didn't really quite match up with other writings uh, of this time in general in quality but now knowing that it's it's a bit older than that uh, from the previous century even uh, then it makes more sense So i can appreciate it a little better uh, but uh, you mentioned philosophical thoughts that are buried within this uh, i did not see any so please enlighten me what was i supposed to be seeing and was too dumb to see
1: just yes, to give the background for the story, the text was written in 1890 by, again, Zelikovsky. He was a great Russian inventor for space things. He invented the rocket engine, some radio thing, and the ballistic rocket too, somehow. Mm-hmm.
0: The so-called space things.
1: Yeah, the mm. space things. He was really important. He w- worked under the Russian Empire, then under the Soviet Union. They didn't kill him because he was so important and so genius. And as a hobby, he was writing those texts to justify his philosophy of Russian cosmism. Alright, what is that? That is a philosophy according to which the the freedom of humanity is expressed mostly by the scientific progress that allows the humanity to transform nature and really exercise more more actions. And the freedom is not as much in uh, actions we do in between people as in transformation of the outer world.
0: Well, how is that different from the general feeling at the end of the 19th century that progress is the key? The sort of feeling that ended with World War I.
1: That's exactly what it is. This is a continuation of this Hegelian uh, view of the spirit and pushing progress forward, and this is just one instance of of that uh, that is being carried out to the colonial policy that Russia had with Siberia and is continuing on the moon.
0: All right, so. Uh, it's the same thing as what's happening everywhere else. It just happened in Russia, so we call it a special name.
1: And um, on the moon. Okay. <laughs> you, don't, so- you don't think it's special?
0: Well, uh, does the moon stand in for something like the Siberia, which seems quite similar to me in a sense, or uh, is it an actual argument for colonizing the moon?
1: Yes, it's literally an argument for colonizing the moon.
0: Hmm. Well, there's uh, well as such, it's, it seems like a very weak argument, this particular story, because all that happens in the story is they just happen to appear on the moon and they don't know how they got there. These two scientists just have, sort of pop up with their house uh, and a horse and uh, just <laughs> frolic around, literally. So how is that an argument for colonizing the moon?
1: Well, I think what you didn't get behind the, the scientific blabber is the joy of exploration.
0: Oh, the joy of exploration
1: uh yes the life of the scientist on earth is pretty mundane and boring and all these new things and just working on the same stuff for years but when he comes to the moon every second of his day is something new and, and he has to think about everything and he discovers some new principle uh every step he takes and i think it's it's a pretty strong medium to present this feeling of just complete novelty compared to the Earth that we already know.
0: Okay, well, if you're going to read uh, all this into that, uh, into what I think is essentially just a, an uh, you know, illustration to a physics textbook, uh, we should also mention that at the very end of it, the scientist wakes up from a feverish, feverish dream because uh, he was sick or something, and then uh, he's sort of brought back into reality and comes out of his disease. So, if we interpret the feverish dream philosophically that way, uh, we could also say that uh, everything he dreamed of, all this joy, the exploration, uh, was uh, just really just a feverish dream that is not real, then then can happen, and it's it's you know uh, madness in a sense. I'm
1: not sure how the fact that it's a dream disputes the idea that the moon is cool. Not
0: just a dream, a dream born by illness. This is not just him going to, uh, you know, f- sleep for a while and then having a nice dream and then waking up uh, presently refreshed. This is, uh, you know, emerging out of an illness that uh, he experienced all of this. That seems to be quite a common uh, vehicle uh, for people to express wild desires that cannot be fulfilled and they are just crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, the presentation of the moon is something cool and fresh. Or rise the fact that it's
0: very difficult to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't you think? Well, I think you're pushing it. Okay, I think you're pushing it a little bit. Also, another thing uh, with the horse, so the horse is transported to the moon as well. And uh, you found it very funny that they, they happen to they just happened to have a horse. Uh.
1: Yes, it's a stamp of 19th century that they just couldn't imagine a different transportation device than a horse. Right. And it's uh, it's presented to us in a way that, and of course our horse was there too. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> I don't have a horse. <laughs> None of my friends have a horse. What do I mean, of course our horse was there?
0: Well, if we keep going in the same direction of interpretation there, uh, the horse meets a horrific end. Uh, Because uh, it does its own um, very reckless exploration. It doesn't really quite understand that it's on the moon and the gravity is different. And it just starts galloping fast and wildly. And then just smashes uh, itself uh, into a rock face. And bursts into millions of fragments that fly around. And it's quite the mess. It's quite picturesque. So I would say that this probably stands in for the dangers of exploration as well, that if you don't do it cautiously enough, if you don't do it the right way, you might meet a horrific end, uh, which is sort of like adds to to the feeling, you know, uh, at the end that this is a very wild dream that uh, probably won't be achievable.
1: Well, I'm sensing that you wouldn't want to go to the moon, is that right? On a
0: horse? No, I have no problem with space exploration, uh, just that I wouldn't see this text as putting it as uh, as idealistically as you have, as you have put. It. I think there's uh, quite a lot of uh, feeling that it is very difficult and very dangerous, as well as perhaps joyous.
1: Well, there's the thrill of it.
0: Well, maybe so. <laughs>
1: think humanity would get from the space if we were to colonize it
0: well uh it's hard to say there's not much to find is there maybe some space dead horses dead horses well there's gonna be a lot of dead horses <laughs> if we bring them into space um <laughs> but there's a there's this whole this whole text has this weird feeling of nothing really being explained other than uh the basic science and it's just like yeah we're here uh, we're, we're doing this and this is happening and uh, there's like no, no thought following this. So it doesn't seem that um, the characters are not portrayed as like regular rational humans who would freak out if they appeared on the moon. And I think they'd be more concerned with what happened rather than uh, how high I can jump in the moon's lower gravity field.
1: So you lacked emotional depth?
0: Yeah, I had no emotional depth. That was very weird. It was very hard to connect with what was going on because all they were talking about was like, look, I can jump pretty high. It's really cool. Look, I can run so fast that the, that the sun stops the setting. Oh, that's so cool, isn't it? And then dead horse. So <laughs> so that's why I was saying it was more of an illustration to a textbook than, than a narrative. But uh, it makes sense in, in the context when it was written and what it was written for and how it was published actually as wow. well. All right. All right. Let's go to the second text called Invisible Light, I'll leave the name of the author to you. Alexander Beliaev. Okay, so what was that about?
1: The story is about a blind man who meets a scientist who offers him a device that will replace his vision with the ability to see electric currents, mm-hmm. which is then used by the blind man to be employed by a corporation that uses him to see different leaks in the electric wires and... After his contract expires, the scientist offer him, offers him to restore his vision completely. And after a few months, the the man understands that he would really like to see the electric currents uh-huh. more because he
0: needs the money and it's beautiful. To be more specific, this man lost his sight in during in the course of his previous job, which had to do with uh, I don't know uh, melting something and basically industrial job. Uh, where he lost his sight, and he spent all of his money on trying to regain sight, paying the, this this quack of a doctor uh, who obviously takes all of his money, leaves him destitute and what was mm-hmm. the last
1: time a doctor actually looked for you to, to to make you take an appointment with
0: them? Right, right, because it is the doctor uh, who well the, the scientist doctor who contacts the patient. First, and there's this scene being described that doctors in the city are hunting their patients down, and really, yes, that they that they hire agents who go and talk yeah, to and people. The, 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 there
1: is a marketing battle between doctors for patients.
0: Right, exactly. So that is that is quite unusual. Well, where did you think this was set? What's the what's the, what is the world?
1: I imagined quite abstract world of the 20s. I didn't really picture Russia because the names are weird of mm-hmm. the characters. there they are explicitly non-Russian. Right. Uh, and I did not picture America either. Maybe a blend of the two?
0: Hmm. Well, it's interesting because uh, when I read it, I assumed because it was Russian and I honestly don't really uh, have that much of a feeling for what a Russian name could possibly look like other than, you know, the standards. So... A doodle could very much be a Russian name to me.
1: Well, they might all be Jewish.
0: But... <laughs> could be. Well, <laughs> uh, the thing is I pictured a, I pictured a Soviet Union basically, uh, because just assumed, and uh, it seems like in this episode I'm making a lot of assumptions, but uh, I, I read it as that. But then when I read the introduction to this, and there was a mention of the story, uh, it is actually supposed to be a representation of the capitalist world. It is supposed to be the right. West.
1: So you were so impressed by this doctor situation that you thought it was
0: a praise of the system. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. I thought it was a critique of the system, obviously, but uh, I, I didn't I didn't. Like, I don't know enough about uh, the Soviet Union of the times to uh, to mm. know whether it's right or not. I think you're right, thinking that it's a sort of a blend between the West and, and the Soviet reality, because how could he have known? What exactly the, the West looks like, well, how, how things go. Of course, they had all the general information, but then they had to construct some reality out of it. And what came out was a capitalism with, with Soviet um, sort of <laughs> traits, right? Uh, Soviet features. But it's an interesting view this, this uh, market, healthcare market being that way. Uh, it's not quite the way it went, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what stood out to you in, in this particular text?
1: Well it's beautifully written. It's written like Sherlock Holmes that is heavily infatuated with everything technological and is about the, the beauty in in energy and in flows and then about this industrializing world where everything is exciting and sparkling, but also sad and people are real. Oh. Because this is this is how the doctor with the invention is presented. Comes there like like this Holmes character. Oh, I see that you are this and that. And I can tell that you will be struggling with money in a few months. That was that was a very classical scheme. Mm-hmm.
0: I well, uh, I don't know about beautifully written. But uh, the word that comes to mind is aptly written in my case. I mean, it was, it was fine. It was coherent. Unlike uh, the previous story. It was an actual sci-fi story. And it was actually quite easy to follow and uh, quite captivating in a sense that you, you forgot you were reading for a while and you were really uh, following the story. So that is, I guess, the Sherlock Holmes kind of an effect that you, you forget you were reading and you really immerse yourself in the story. Basically, the, the standard interpretation of this, uh, according to the introduction, is that uh, this is a critique of the West. Of the life in the West uh, because the, this, the patient regains his sight, uh, he, he gets this vision of the electric currents, uh, he's in this wonderful world, and it immediately gets used by, other, by companies, right? He gets several offers from big corporations who want to use him for something, and in the end they employ him in a lab where he's, uh, you know, watching their experiments and, telling, and describing what's happening, and he's, uh, they, they make progress in science that way. But uh, when the time comes, the doctor restores his original sight back. The patient indeed wants the sight back, asks for it, gets it back, and then uh, a while back, a while later, he returns again poor. And uh, destitute, and uh, he wants to see the current again, uh, regain his source of employment. And the doctor says no, because he had already perfected the device. Now they don't need him anymore. Uh, so yes, now was, a computer can do it. Right now, now he's missed his chance, and that's it. He just he just walks out. And the final lines of this text are like oh the sky was gray and the clouds were you know raining or whatever it was just like a very very like bland description of, of the weather very much of a nothing description there and that's how it ends
1: well he comes to the doctor to regain his sight in the first place because he needed to work because he was running out of money mm-hmm. uh, there's no other sense for of motivation from him to be honest Mm. Other than working.
0: Yeah, well, that that may be the Soviet aspect here. You know, yeah. like the work being uh, so important. So why did you like the text?
1: Because the imagery there is wonderful. This is this combination of really early modern society where they still live in mansions, but those like, classical mansions on, on streets, streets. They have multiple rooms in their houses and help people. But also, it's heavily electrified and this picture of seeing just the currents flowing in every person and everywhere and in buildings and underground. Uh, this is beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what stood out to me, uh, you said this uh, was published in 1938, right? Yes. Um, I, I think it quite well captures the mood uh, of the times because uh, recently I have I have uh, read um, several pieces from various cultures uh, who, who exhibit this very mark of brutal realism where uh, everything just goes to hell at the end, and it's always very sad, and it's just uh, destructive, and everything's horrible. Uh, and all of, the, all of that literature was written uh, in, the, in the 30s, uh, sort of mid-30s, like that. And uh, so I found it interesting that this exhibits the beauty of the world and the sort of destructive, brutal realism uh, as well, where everything... Ends horribly and horrendously. Uh, so that was, that was a quite interesting. aspect but
1: well, also to put it in historical context, the thirties were a time of heavy electrification of Russia. So it was probably also political and paid mm-hmm. uh, to be to be written mm-hmm. as a propaganda piece for electricity. But I mean, look at it it's beautiful propaganda.
0: Yeah. Well, I found it hilarious that this is criticizing how corporations behave in the West, right? Behave at the time; they still behave today. Sort of like uh, taking advantage of this poor man's uh, ability paying him well actually <laughs> you know, he was not just abused; but he, he was paid well. Uh, it's specifically mentioned, and then uh, he's kind of left out in the cold because of a choice he made. And I'm like, how is this a cri- like? How is this a critical thing? It's like I read it as being in the Soviet Union, and I was like, yeah, of course, yeah, Soviet corporations are horrible. That's what Soviet I would Soviet corporations. <laughs> I never. Thought, I. It did not occur to me. I don't know did, were there any companies at all. Was there any? Like, no national.
1: People were murdered for owning a cow.
0: Right, but how was business conducted then? Like With a gun mean, to it, your head? No, I don't mean among <laughs> the regular people. I mean, like, on the state level. Like, how did the state get stuff? Like, how did they procure anything?
1: They had ministries, like, modern right. states, so ministry, just for everything.
0: Is the ministry built a factory to build weapons? Or, yes. or is that what happened? Yes, no.
1: there is... A ministry of building factories to build weapons. Ah, right. And there is so. a guy who runs a factory.
0: Mm, okay. So no, no such thing as a sort of a national corporation thing at this time.
1: Mm. I mean, in in a particular factory, maybe maybe a production chain. I don't know. Corporation is pretty arbitrary division
0: of this. Well, I didn't think of it as a of the word corporation as as the corporation. I thought of it as a state firm in general. Um, but maybe it's an example of what uh, that your mind sees, what you want to see. Because if you're thinking this is the framework, then of course you're going to interpret it uh, in a way that it fits. All right. So any final words about the invisible light?
1: Well, it's, an inter- it's a pretty unique and interesting story to read uh, from an unusual time period, as is the previous uh, story we read. I'm glad you liked at least a little bit of it.
0: Right. Well, I am over the moon that it was much more readable than the story on the moon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Couch Googles. Also, go on to our Medium page, Google Books, where we write and share our opinions about groundbreaking non-fiction books of our time. And uh, subscribe and comment, and we'll be happy to see you there.